In your Bibles, please, for our first reading to Philippians chapter 1. Verse 1. Hear now the inerrant, infallible, and inspired word of God. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, until the day of Jesus Christ, even as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, ye all are partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve the things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. <coughs> For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor, yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all, for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant 
in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which ye saw in me, and here to be in me. May God add his blessing to the reading and hearing of his most holy word. Another book, another introduction. The author is the Apostle Paul. The recipients are the church at Philippi, a chief city in Macedonia, the first that Paul visited in his second missionary journey as recorded in Acts chapter 16. So we have then uh, that city where he preached to Lydia and the Philippian jailer, and we have now a church that has been established there. In those days, there was not even a synagogue. They met for prayer at the riverside, is what Luke tells us in Acts 16. And yet, now we have a a church, and it seems a thriving church. This is one of of the epistles called Paul's prison epistles. So he is in prison when he writes. He says as much here that he is in bonds. Uh, He's an ambassador in bonds. He is in bonds for the sake of the gospel, not in bonds because he's a malefactor. And so let's remember our uh, miracle faith that, you know, uh, Paul was not asking for his deliverance. Actually, he said, when I preach, this is the fruit of my labor. That's what he said about halfway through the chapter. I can expect prison. I can expect bonds. I can expect trouble. That's okay, he says. The location, he's in the Palatine. Uh, scholars are divided as to what exactly that means. Uh, some would call it the barrack house, the barracks house of the, of the uh, palace guard. Some would say that he was in Nero's, uh, somewhere in Nero's court, that the, that, 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 Palatine was, it it kind of overlapped in Nero's house. And it is interesting to note that he will say that my bonds have caused the furtherance of the gospel in all the palace. So uh, we might think of of a soldier that was, you know, uh, handcuffed or chained or somehow otherwise tied to Paul, perhaps not physically, but to watch over him at all times. And uh, that same soldier in his next shift might be the guard of Nero. And so what a contrast that would have been one day to be guarding Nero and one day to be watching over Paul. Remember that one of the names that belonged to Nero was Nero the Base. That's what they called him. Uh, The content, it is especially noteworthy that there's no overriding doctrinal correction in this book. Uh, As we will find in other books, as we've heard already in Galatians, some in Ephesians, and, and some more in Colossians, as we hear echoes of Gnosticism that are being handled by the Apostle Paul. But here in, in the Philippian epistle, really the theme of the, of the epistle is rejoicing. Right? Over and again we hear about rejoicing. And 
um, and so rejoicing is its theme, and there's not a lot of what we would call by way of, uh, of correction here. There is great instruction. The instruction will be toward the drawing together of God's people and their affections, and in so doing, we will have one of the greatest passages of Christology in the New Testament. When we talk in chapter 2 about having the same mind in ourselves that was in Christ. And then in chapter 3 we have that wonderful statement of turning away from earthly things to be found in Christ. But notice these aren't necessarily for the Philippian church although they are told to beware of dogs and evil workers and so on. In chapter 4, we have the, the gift of the Philippians that come to help Paul in prison. We might mention for a moment in prison that when you were in a Roman prison, it wasn't three squares a day, a cot, and an exercise yard. You didn't eat unless your family brought you something. If your family didn't bring you a cot or a mattress or a blanket, you didn't have anything to sleep on. You were in a place of mud and dankness and dampness. There were no toilets there, if that helps you to understand, right? It wasn't a, it wasn't a, a, you know, a club fed or anything like that. So he receives a gift from the Philippians, although he will tell them it was not necessary because in Christ he was, what, already full. Amazing thing to think about. So as a brief outline of our book, we have the greeting in chapter 1. Through verse 2, we have some thanksgiving through verse 8. Then we have some various exhortations that will run halfway through the second chapter. Steadfastness, unity, humility, obedience, and purity. The latter half of chapter 2 talks about Timothy and Epaphroditus and their ministry. Then in chapter 3, we have a warning against false teachers and then the true teaching pertaining to the gospel of Christ in chapter 4, we have some more exhortation. And then in chapter 4, 10 through 20, Paul's thankfulness and comfort, receiving the Philippians' gift, conclusion and salutation, will run us from 21 through the end of the book. Uh, the overriding theme then is joy. So how do we remember the theme of Philippians? How about backflips of joy for Philippians? Right? Okay. Well, maybe some of you didn't like that. I'm sorry. You know, don't shoot the messenger. I'm just trying to make it memorable. <laughs> okay, so chapter 1. Let's, let's, let's dive into chapter 1. Um, notice here we learn something about the first century church officers. Here we have them described as bishops and deacons. Right? In Titus chapter 1, we will see, Paul will say that uh, you're... you're uh, Titus, you are to ordain elders in every city. And then a few verses later, he will say, for the bishop must be. And so what are we seeing here? We're seeing a parity of the term elder and bishop. It's, it's talking about the same office or the same officer. What is an elder? An elder is a leader, right? A, a, a leader or governor in the, uh, in the midst of the church what is a bishop? A bishop is a more functional title, and it means an overseer. It comes from the same word. The word we translate as bishop is the same word that we get the word episcopal or episcopalian from. 
Episcopos is the Greek term. Epi, upon, skopos, to watch. So to watch upon or to watch over. Right? That's what a bishop is. So when Paul will say that this letter is to the Philippians, to all of the members of it, all the saints, and then also to the bishops and deacons, he's writing to the membership and the officership of the church. The elders and the deacons, or the bishops and the deacons, and the members of the church. All right, so as we said, we have a few verses on thanksgiving here. Um, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And so once again, we are, uh, can I say it this way? Once again, we are uh, reminded and encouraged. And, and the apostle will set out the example of his robust prayer life for everyone that he knew. These are important points for us to remember to take encouragement ourselves to be those kinds of people who pray often with and for one another. He prays for them with thanksgiving and joy. He prays for them with regard to their fellowship in the gospel. That is for their perseverance of which he is convinced. And then they are partakers of my grace, Paul will say. What does that mean? Not that he is the one who gives out those gracious things, but that he was the one who preached to them. The grace that I preached. So they're partakers of his grace in that way. Notice his fondness for the uh, congregation there because he has them upon his heart. He prays for them and his prayer for them is no burden at all. And then we also see the perseverance of God that he will not allow his work to fail in even one of his people, but he will perfect or complete it until that final day. And so our hope is in God's working and not in our ability to receive. The second section, verses 9 through 11, is, is, is how I have them. He now informs them. He told them that he was praying. Now he tells them what he's praying for. And can I just say, when we see those kinds of things in Scripture, those are the kinds of things we ought to be praying for regarding one another. This is a great example, and it gives a roadmap to our own prayers, doesn't it? So notice what he says. He prays that their knowledge would be abundant. That they would be able to judge that which is right. That they would approve the things that are excellent and by way of logical necessity disprove that which is not. That they would be sincere. That they would persevere. And that they would partake of righteous and holy living which brings glory to God. Well, those are uh, six things that we see there in the apostles list that we can most certainly pray in faith for one another. So these are good things to take note of, at least for that. Uh, if we had more time, we would talk about the benefits of all of these things. Uh, but we don't, so uh, you, you, you will be left to, uh, to meditate upon what benefit the abundance of knowledge, the ability to judge what is right, moral approbation, sincerity, perseverance, and righteous living, and all the help that is to the people of God. All right, so now in verses 12 through 14, we have what I've called here the advantages of adversity. The things which have happened to me, namely, I'm in jail, right? I'm in prison, uh, have fallen out rather for the advance of the kingdom of God, the advance of the gospel. And so how could Paul uh, complain or murmur about his time in prison seeing that since it is his job to advance the gospel and his prison sentence 
has advanced the gospel. He has what he was given to do. And so now, notice as the apostle to the Gentiles, he has, if you will, a captive Gentile audience to preach to where he is. And so he makes use of that. He says that the things that have happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. My bonds are made manifest in all the palaces, in all the palace and in all other places. And there's something else that encourages me, he says, that some, because of my example of being willing to go to prison for the gospel's sake, they are emboldened and encouraged to their preaching ministry as well. And that's a good thing. And so not only in my own personal ministry, but in my example to others that this, is, that this has given others more boldness to preach, I'm going to rejoice in that too. Okay, so now we move on to verses 15 through 18. And now we have this twofold advancement. On the one hand, there are some that preach out of envy and strife. They don't like Paul much. It may be because he was an uncompromising preacher. It may be because he was getting all the recognition and they wanted some for themselves. I don't know. It's, it's not said in the text why they didn't like Paul. But they were preaching. They were out preaching now. And they wanted to make sure Paul knew it. And they were trying to add affliction to his bonds. Nanny, nanny, nanny. We're out here able to preach. And you're so wise in your preaching, you got yourself shut up in prison. What about that? Yet... Paul will say, even here in prison, I have a great audience, and the gospel does go forth. So some are preaching Christ out of contention, and then some out of goodwill. Now, I would venture to say that if we were to compare the two, Paul would, would grieve over the bad attitude, uh, rejoicing over the preaching of the gospel in the one set, and then rejoicing over the other gents as they went out preaching as well. But notice that Paul emphasizes not the grief, but the joy. In everything. So because the gospel is going forth. I do rejoice. And I will rejoice. Oh for hearts like that. To be jealous only for Christ. Right? Okay so now. um, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice. And will rejoice. Verse 19. For I shall know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. And that's verses 19 through 20. And, you know, scholars are divided on what Paul means by salvation there. Is that his deliverance out of prison? In other words, because Paul's being such a good boy and rejoicing at the advancement of the gospel, will God not bring him out of prison sooner? Well, I think that's a horrible use of that passage. When Paul says that this will turn out to my salvation, what he means to say is these kinds of attitudes are running in the ways that lead to life. If we can put it in our afternoon sermon context. This is the way that leads to life. If I were jealous because they are incensed against me and desire to add affliction to my bonds, if I showed rather jealousy, if my affections were pinched, if I could not rejoice at the advancement of the gospel because of the messengers that were going forth, this would be a sign not of life, but a sign of the other destination. 
this would be at least a sin. But to rejoice even in ill-mannered and ill-conceived and ill-willed preaching, because it is indeed the true gospel and the furtherance of the gospel, this is the sign of life, and so this shall turn out to my salvation. And I think he makes that very clear in the latter part of that section where he says, my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always now, I will magnify Christ whether by life or death. So I think he seals it up. He's truly talking about his eternal salvation there. Not that he's contributing to it in any way, but that this attitude that he has, that he can honestly say with confidence that he is rejoicing that the gospel goes forth even in an ill-willed sort of way, that that is indeed uh, the way that leads to life. This is the attitude that we all ought to have toward competent preaching of the gospel. The, or, or we might also say the preaching of the scriptures and the whole counsel of God we should rejoice no matter where that's found beloved the world is a howling dark world of ignorance and sin unless the light of the word of God shines forth out there it's raining fire and brimstone in utter darkness wherever there is a place where the Bible is being faithfully preached although we may not agree with every particular word that goes forth from that place we ought to rejoice right okay all right so now notice that paul will say for me to live is christ and to die is gain when he says for me to live is christ it doesn't mean you know uh, in the keswickian way i've checked out i'm not here anymore it's jesus you see that's not what he means for me to live is christ that is my life is dedicated for the advancement of the name of Christ. For me to live is to advance his name and not my own. It doesn't matter what happens to me. I can be in prison. I can live. I can die. I can be maligned. Preachers can preach because I'm in jail to add affliction to my bonds. It doesn't matter for me to live as Christ. If, I'm, if, if I am set for the honor of Christ and the advancement of the name of Christ then. That's how I want to live. And then to die is gain. And so he will speak to the Philippians. There was always a question when you went into a Roman prison as to whether or not you would ever come out at all or if you came out, if that was feet first or not. And by feet first, I mean, you know, they carry you out on a slab. So there was always that question when you went into a Roman prison. And Paul will say, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. It's better for me, he says, to depart and be with Christ. That's far better is the term he uses. But it's better for you if I stay. And so I know what the Lord will do. He'll, he'll cause me to stay. And I'm good with that. Because for me to live is Christ and the advancement of his name. So I'm glad to stay and be of service to you and others like you, Philippians, for the sake of the advancement of the name of Christ. And so that's verses 21 through, I don't know, what is that, 26. And then finally in, in 27, after he speaks to them about that, he says, but I want you to, um, to order your conversation. Order your conversation as becometh the gospel of Christ. It's interesting that we read 
uh, you know, the Lord does this, I don't do that, I'm not, you, you know, if you're thinking I'm smart enough to put Philippians 1 together with 16.2 and that I can get those weeks to congeal, no, that's not going to happen. I, I don't get to do that. But the Lord does. And so what did we, what did we read today in 16.2? That by our manifestation of good works, we adorn our profession of the gospel. What does Paul say here? Uh, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Conversation there is not the way you speak, but it's your general lifestyle, what the Germans called your Weltanschauung, your world and life view. Right? So that conversation, that should adorn your profession of the gospel of Christ. We want to bring honor to his name. As Paul said a moment ago, for me to live as Christ. It should be for us to live as well. So then, um, uh, in adorning our profession of Christ, not only do we bring honor to the name of Christ, but notice what Paul says here, that I may hear of your affairs, and that ye stand fast in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the, for the uh, faith of the gospel. So the second thing that happens with that is not only do we adorn our profession of the gospel, not only do we advance the name of Christ, but we also encourage one another. By so doing. When we sin as a covenanted people, beloved, there's a price that we all pay for that in one way or another. We've heard this before, haven't we, with Achan? Achan sinned, 37 men died, or maybe it was 34, I don't remember, something like that. And Joshua fell before the Lord and, and begged for his mercy, and the Lord said, Israel has sinned. Right? There's a connection that we have one to another. Let us make that connection then flow for the advancement of the gospel, the honor of Christ, and the encouragement of our brethren. The next thing that Paul says this does is that we should not be terrified by our adversaries. It's to them an evident token of, per of perdition being lost, but unto us it's an evident token of salvation and that from God, that when, we, when our conversation is an adornment to the gospel, we advance the name of Christ, we encourage our brethren, and we, um, uh, we profess our salvation and are not affrighted by our adversaries. Then verse 29 and 30, we'll bring this to a close. For you, it is given, it is a gift of God in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. This uh, theme of suffering is not, is not unique to Philippians. Paul will tell Timothy, all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. In some ages of the church, that is a milder persecution. And in some ages, it's a greater persecution. But Jesus will turn to his disciples while yet on earth in the upper room, and he will say, marvel not if the world hate you. All right, and that conflict is common then to all believers, although it may not manifest in the same sorts of persecutions. Notice what it says, having the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. It is the same thing. Um, when we get to Colossians 1, we'll hear a little bit more on that. All right, with that then, let's stand.